did last year. So um, here you go. I'll give you the mic. Awesome. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I think one of the highlights of last year was the series You Asked For It. Um, it's an opportunity where we've put it out there. We've said, uh, what do you want to hear? What's important to you? What are the questions that you are asking? You asked for it. So here it comes. So uh, I've got a wonderful topic this morning, an interesting one, possibly even a controversial one. Should church and politics mix? A question that's been asked by a number of people. Should church and politics mix? What is our response as Christians? What is our response as a church when it comes to things political? Do we get involved? Do we not? Uh, Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to get into this message. And uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, these questions are questions that are on our heart. These are questions that uh, people are asking. Lord, we want to go into your word. Lord, that is our source of truth. That is the foundation for how we build our lives. And so, God, I thank you as we go to your word today, as we ask the question, should church and politics mix? Lord, would you show us your heart? Would you show us what our response should be, uh, Lord, when we we look at our, our government and those in authority over us? So, Lord, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that we can come here and worship you freely. What a privilege and honor it is to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in this room, there's probably three groups of people. I've kind of blocked everybody into one of these three groups. There are, there are those that when I mention the word politics, it's like, boom, it's like a sleeping tablet. You're out. You're just gone. You are, there is no interest in politics whatsoever. You don't, you don't even want to engage in it. Chances are when elections come around, you, you find anything other than politics to watch. And you maybe don't even get involved in voting, don't even vote, just politics. No, thank you. Not interested at all. Then there's those that are passionately you know, into politics and, and, and discussing uh, everything around politics and government, and, and that's your passion, and you love it, and you, you throw yourself into it. You, you've, you've got amazing uh, research that you've done, and, and you love it, and you throw yourself into it. Then there's another group of people that are kind of unsure. Where do I go? Where does my vote go? I, I, don't, know, I don't know what party to support. I, what, what, is my, what is my place? Where do I fit? when it comes to this whole thing of government and politics. So probably we're loosely in one of those three categories. My hope is that all of us will get something from today, that as we go and we look at the Bible, which is, I believe, our source for living, our source for information, for truth, this is the foundation that we choose to build our lives on. If we go to God's Word, we'll get some answers as to what our response should be. Now, what you won't hear from me is which party you're supposed to vote for, all right? Just in case you're wondering. I won't be sharing that from the pulpit. If you want to come and have a conversation with me, more than welcome. That's something for outside of the pulpit. I won't be telling you who to vote for. I won't be telling you what, what, what party lines. I'm not, I'm not, this is not what it's about. It's what is our response as individuals, and then obviously corporately as a, as a community of people trying to follow Jesus with all of our heart. What do we do and how do we stand when it comes to things political? It won't be boring, I promise. Uh, We'll give it a shot anyway. So some of the, some of the, um, one of the things I was ref- reflecting on this week is the, the incredible privilege we have to be in a, in a nation like New Zealand. The ability to, to cast a vote which can ultimately determine the government that leads us. It's an incredible, incredible privilege. You know, we, we have the opportunity to cast a vote and actually determine who might lead us. You know there's nations still fighting for that? These societies that don't actually have the freedom to be able to cast a vote, to be able to make things possible and make things happen. We live in an incredible nation with incredible privileges. But with this incredible privilege also come some difficult questions. Which laws apply to me? God's or the law of the land? As a Christian, am I exempt from some laws? 
Which leader should I choose? Which party gets my vote? Should I even bother voting? Well, I want to do a very short summary of what I believe uh, God is saying about our commitment to the law of the land, but also being wholeheartedly committed to the law of God. And we're going to go to some of the stories, some examples in Scripture of men and women who uh, engaged in this question, should we mix? Should this thing mix? I want to lay the foundation by reading a couple of scriptures. The first is about government. The second is about our spiritual leaders. And I believe we need to read these two passages together. We need to understand that they sit together. They, they, you know, that, that our spiritual leaders, our government leaders, it makes no difference. God is wanting us to, to sit and be, uh, be in, uh, in submission and respect and honor the authority above us. So it says, obey the government, Romans 13.1. Paul's talking to the the church in Rome. For God is the one who has put it there. There is no government anywhere that God has not placed in power. So those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God and punishment will follow. I feel like there's a word of knowledge that 120 kilometers an hour in a 100K zone. Oh, oh, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in this place. Give a nudge to the person you just, come on. Which laws are we to obey? How about all of them? Yeah, come on. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual leaders and be willing to do what they say for their work is to watch over your souls. God will judge them on how well they do this. God will judge them. Give them reason to report joyfully about you to the Lord and not with sorrow for then you will suffer for it too. Right, this is some pretty, pretty strong words here you know, that, that we need to submit to a governing authority that is over us. I've had numerous conversations over the years with people about politics and should I vote and people want to complain and, and gripe about a government and, and I'll often ask the question, hey, did you vote? Oh, no, I wouldn't bother voting. And, and my response is respectfully, I don't think you actually get to have an opinion. If we don't vote, and we can, I don't think we get to have an opinion on our government, personally. Uh, I, I think we've got this right and this obligation to actually engage in the democratic process. So uh, you'll be amazed. Some people uh, want to have an opinion but are not prepared to vote. It's Romans, Romans 12.1, it says, I'll read it again from the NIV. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, Paul the Apostle, he's telling us that our response is to submit to the authorities over us. And, and as I'm talking about this, I, I don't want to just talk about um, government officials. I, I want us to think all leadership, because it's really important that you might be a, a teacher serving under a principal. You, you might be a teacher serving under a head of department. You might be a, a business owner serving, or, or like you might be a, a staff member serving under a business owner. You could be a, a, a child serving under your parents, under the, the submission and the authority of your parents. Understanding that the submission to authority is actually God-given, whether it be in government, whether it be in business, whether it be in relationships. When we understand that and we make a decision to walk in obedience, I believe God will honor us as we honor those who are above us. When we don't, we find ourselves in trouble. And I can put my hand up and testify to that one. I won't say any more for now. Submission is a sign of respect and a commitment to a process of honor and trust that says, I believe that I am submitting myself to the person God has deemed the most responsible to oversee me in this moment. It's saying, I'm going to trust God that that is the appropriate person 
for me to sit under in this moment. Now, a few questions that you might have asked that I've, I've probably asked. What if I don't like them? What if their values don't line up with my values or God's values? What if they are asking me to do something that is inherently evil or wrong? Now, of those three questions, the first one's a little bit easier to answer than the last two. What if I don't like them? <laughs> you don't have to like everybody you submit to, but you still have to honor them. You still have to show honor. You still have to show, you still have to be in submission and honor the position. We're not necessarily sitting under a person, we're sitting under a position. The position that God has established. But, but here's what can happen if, if we actually approach our, our sitting under somebody's authority prayerfully and we ask God to position our hearts in the right place as we pray for someone, you'd be amazed at what changes. What shifts in your own heart where, where you, your, your frustration or your disappointment or the, or the things that you were criticizing starts to shift a little bit because actually you start to like the person a little bit more. I always find it so much easier when I work under someone I like. Now, if I don't like them, I've got to pray for a heart to like them. Don't have to like them. I've just got to love them. I don't believe that anymore. Actually, I think we're supposed to love and like. Because I, I think both of them go hand in hand. Because you know, I, I believe God can give us a heart for somebody. I remember when I was working, uh, I was leading the Power Zone ministry at, uh, at East, and, uh, at East Campus. And there was a young boy, he was probably 13, 14 years old when he came and he says, I want to help. I want to help. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So he came and he, he started helping, except his help wasn't really helpful. So he would get involved with the sound gear and he would put the wrong chords in the wrong places. And so he would set things up, but he would set them up really, really badly. And so we'd be ready to start and everything's a mess. And we're trying to work out where he put what. And, and, and I got frustrated. And I would see him coming on the Sunday morning as he's coming to help me. And I would dread seeing him. I was like, oh, here he comes again. And, and I didn't have good feelings or thoughts, those internalized things, you know, those things that go on in, my, in your head, just me, you know, when, you know that difficult person. And, and I'm praying, God, improve or remove. You know, that's the right prayer to pray, right, as a Christian? Improve or remove, improve or remove. And I felt God say to me, improve who? And I thought, maybe it's a different prayer. God, improve my heart. I started to pray. Help me, please to get a love for this kid. And so I did. You know what? I did something radical. I started praying for him. Who would have thought? And as I prayed for him, you know what happened? I actually started to kind of like him. And I was able to invest in his life, and he didn't have a dad in his life. And Sunday morning, he got to hang out with me. I didn't have any kids at that stage. And I thought, you know what? I can be a positive influence, or I can just be another authority figure that says you're not good enough. And so I began to pray for him, began to invest a little bit more time in him. So this, this period had happened over probably three years. And it's just like, well, I woke up one Sunday, and I was like, I can't wait to see Tim. And I go, oh, something's changed. Two weeks later, he comes to me and says, oh, Mike, I'm moving to Australia. And I'm like, and I've just got to like you. I'm like, God, was that all about me? Was that all about me changing my heart and the way that I would love people? If we don't like someone, it doesn't mean that we can't pray for them and maybe, just maybe, get a heart of love towards them. What do you reckon? 
Yeah, come on. <laughs> we must remember with somebody in authority over us, number one, their appointment has been established by God. Number two, our submission to their leadership has also been established by God. That's what the scripture tells us. So if I don't submit to the authority over me, I'm ultimately saying to God, I won't submit to you, God. That's a big statement to make to God in our response to those who are in authority over us. What if I disagree with their values or even worse, the laws they make cause me to have to disobey God? This is where it gets difficult. This is where the challenge is. But as Christians, we're not afraid of challenges. We're not afraid of difficult situations or circumstances. In fact, if we go into a difficult situation with integrity and we uphold God's love for people and we live and love people, we actually get to be an example through a difficult time that might actually turn something or shift something. We get to be an example of God's love and his faithfulness when we go into these difficult situations. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe that when we, when we go through a difficult time and we come out at the other side, people will go, wow, how did you get through that? How did you manage to, to, to uphold your integrity? How did you manage to not kill that person when they treated you so badly? Because I've got a higher law that governs me, and it's God's love for him and for people. So let's make that decision that we will submit to those in authority over us. Fortunately, we've got some examples in the Old Testament uh, some, some men and women who just, they, they were faithful and they faced some difficult times. Esther. Esther was a young queen. She heard that her nation, the nation of Israel, was about to be destroyed by, by a cheeky little edict that, that, you know, that basically tried to put in place in order to kill all the Jews. So she approaches the king out of place, out of authority, you know, she, she, there was a particular way and procedure that she was supposed to approach the king. She didn't go that way. She just went straight in there, and she got to speak to the king. She could have lost her life, and yet she was fighting for a higher cause, a greater thing that she was stepping in for. God protected her. God honored her. Daniel, I want to read some, some of the story of Daniel, a faithful man given a difficult choice. Daniel chapter 6, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now, Daniel was brought out of captivity, or brought into captivity, and, uh, and he, he lived a life of honor and integrity, and God raised him up through the political system to the point where he was recognized for what he carried. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is a word for young people. Integrity, discipline, commitment is what will rise you to the top. It will get you to the top. If you live a life of faithfulness and integrity, God will position you in places where you will go to a whole other level. Never, never compromise your integrity for the sake of trying to fast-track something. Stay true to the Word of God that will honor God and honor people, and at the right time, God will lift you up and will raise you up into that position. carries on. It says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. 
Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they have this conversation. This is amazing. They have this conversation. They say, there is no way that Daniel is going to break the law of the land unless we can get him to break the law of his God. So we're going to set up a scenario where he's going to have to choose between the law of the land or following God, and we know he'll follow God. So they they were sneaky. They thought, we'll set him up to fail. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. Sounds like a suck up to me, I reckon. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, except one. That They left that part out. That the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Great punishment, right? Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius, he thought that was a good idea, that everyone would just pray to him and worship him. He put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So Daniel hears the new law and proceeds to go straight to his room and break the law. Was he right? Did he do the right thing? Is he given us permission to break civic law? Yes and no. No and yes. Told you it was difficult, right? This is not easy. But let's let's understand the law that he was operating under. In order, the only reason Daniel disregarded a law was in order to keep the laws of the land, Daniel would have to break the laws of God. So in order to keep the law of the land, he would have to break God's law. And that is the difficult moment when we are forced to choose between a law that is against God's principles and his word and his truth. What do we do in that situation? And this is the the dilemma we are faced with. We may or may not in our lifetime be faced with that. As a pastor, as a marriage celebrant, those choices are are there in front of me now. Where I, I have a, a commitment to God, and I also have a commitment to the law of the land. But there may come a point in time where I'm forced to make a decision. Will I honor God? So therefore go against the law of the land. I'm still praying through what, what will happen in that situation. I want to honor God. No, I want to honor the land. God is higher than the law of this land. And our land was built on the principles that God established in this nation. And we're moving as a nation away from it. So let's pray. Pray for our nation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were contemporaries of Daniel. Similar scenario. They, they, they found themselves in favor with the, the officials. They were asked to bow down to a statue. Not asked, but commanded to. King Nebuchadnezzar built this big statue. He had an inferiority complex. So he had a big, big statue made up saying, this is how amazing I am. Every time you hear the band play, the moment the band starts to play, you've got to bow down and you've got to worship the statue of me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we honor you, king, but we're not bowing down. We're not bowing down. See, these guys, 
they would have had to break the commandments of God in order to do this. You shall have no other gods before you. That would break it. Shall have no idols, idol statue. Even even you shall not misuse the Lord's name. Worship for another god or another king would come out of their mouth instead of worship to God. So they were left with a choice. What do we do? In strict atheistic regimes or nations where Islamic or communist rule is in place, this is a much greater challenge. Some laws in in Bangladesh and in other nations are anti-Christ in nature, opposed to Christ in nature. Difficult scenarios. One of our lead pastors was sharing with me this week about a, a church in Pakistan where two of the church members were just murdered for their faith just recently. And the elders and the pastors are sitting around the table in a somber moment. One of the elders says, we'll probably lose our lives for this, right? Kind of a pause and a nod of the head, yeah. And back to church business. That's the cost of following Jesus in some nations. How many people are thankful for the nation we live in? Sometimes I wonder if a bit of persecution might just, might just, might just lift our prayer and our commitment to God another level. Not praying for persecution, but I am praying that we would begin praying more. In these uncommon situations, God's higher law still prevails, but consequences can be expected. In Bangladesh, the persecution is real. I've often had Sukhan just email me, uh, my friend over in in Bangladesh, say, please pray. Uh, One one time there was a mob coming after one of his workers, a Muslim mob, just, you know, they didn't like what he was doing. Didn't like the work he was doing, you know, leading kids to Christ. And so they were coming after him. God protected this man in, in this situation. But he, he recognizes that he could lose his life for this. He could be imprisoned or even worse. And that's the choice that he might have to make. The, cho- the cost of choosing God's laws may well involve persecution, imprisonment, or death. And I think we've got to take a moment, even now, just to count our blessings. The nation we live in. That, that was actually built on the foundation of God's word. How powerful is that? And we see an increase in secular thinking. We see agendas now being pushed upon us that actually break God's heart. But we have a great nation. We have a great nation. Talk about praise and thankfulness. We live in an incredible nation founded on God's word. And the more we pray for our leaders, the more we engage in it, I think the greater chance we have of seeing God break out in parliament, God break out in government. Imagine more Christian leaders, Jesus followers in places of power and authority, saying, you know what, I've got a commitment to this land, but I've got a greater commitment to God's law and God's love for people. Imagine if we could see some raised up in that. Daniel's decision to pray was based on the first and second commandments, which overrode the law of the king. And was confirmed by the supernatural protection of God. Daniel's disobedience to the king's law was out of obedience to God's law. Didn't affect anyone else. He made a decision in a stand. And I think when we make these decisions, we don't drag other people into our decisions. I think it's really, I think this is wisdom. Don't, don't go, this is what I believe and this is what I stand. Come and join me. Hold on, I don't want to join you. Make a commitment. Make, get a conviction in your heart and stand on that. Now, it may be that others will come and stand with you. And in that place of conviction, you might stand together. Shadrach, Meshach, Daniel stood alone or knelt alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood together. And they stood not just on a, oh, I've just got a feeling this is the right thing to do. 
I bet they felt the presence of God when they were making their decision to not bow down to the king, to the the statue. But they made a decision based on the foundation of God's word, which doesn't change. God's word is immovable. It's it's solid. It It will be everything we need it to be in our lives if we would put our whole trust in the word of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we recognize you'll throw us into the fire. This is what they said. You'll throw us into the fire. And we believe our God will save us. And then they say, but but even if he does not, king, we're not bowing down. We're not bowing down. We may lose our lives, but we're not bowing down because the principles that lead us, the principles that drive us forward are much higher than our safety and our own protection. We believe God's word to be true, so we're going to stand on that. They knew the word of God. Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have many troubles. About to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Sounds like trouble to me. But the Lord delivers him or her from them all. Rack, Shack, and Benny, they knew that God was with them. And I believe God, that was evident when, when God um, confirmed that. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I reckon they had that going through their hearts. I reckon Shadrach turned over and and flipped on his playlist, grabbed the the, the 1987 classic Phil Pringle. Come on, have we got any 80s uh, worshippers in the house? Fear not. For I am with you, fear not. Come on. For I am with you, fear not. For I am with you, says the Lord. Amy's cringing in the front row, but come on, let's sing it. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Child, you are my millennials. Just click. When you walk through the waters, I'll be there. And through the flames. Here it comes. You'll not be drowned. Come on. You'll not. Be burned, for I am with you. Come on. I reckon, I reckon they were like, we have so much confidence in God that we're going to sing through this fire. They just stood there and they went, you know what, God, even if he doesn't, it's okay, because I'm going to stay committed to God's principles. I'm going to get it when I get home. (laughs) So what do we have to do? What do we have to do as Jesus follows when it comes to mixing church and politics? I want to get practical this morning. Because you know what? There have been times where things have been presented to us as a nation. What do we do with it? We can put in a submission. We can put something into parliament for a referendum. We can do something about it. We can write it. I'm not suggesting you march on parliament. But maybe one day that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to stand strong together sometimes to make a stand. But you do it on your personal conviction, not following a crowd. Pray about it. Ask God for what your response must be and then stand with that conviction. Remembering, honoring God, honoring people, loving God, loving people. It's important that we do it the right way. You're not trying to push your cause. We're trying to, trying to uphold God's law and God's standard. I've uh, put my submissions in. I've written lovingly and uh, with honor and biblically worded uh, you know, submissions into many bills that have been passed. 
And uh, some of them have been um, rejected. Some of them have, uh, have, have been passed. And I continue to pray for the government even when it goes through. And these are the three things. Pray and vote. Pray and vote. Now, I know the election's not coming, but when it comes, pray and vote. Ask God who to vote for. Do you know I haven't voted for the same party every time? I've actually changed the parties I vote for. Do you know why? Because I go into every set of elections saying, God, which party is presenting to us as a nation something that would point us closer to you in a relationship and, and closer to loving people and families? And so, so I make my decision based on that. The best case scenario, what could it look like? I think even, I, I don't, Amy and I don't always even talk about who, who gets the, who's voting for what. You know, this is something that we make together. We, you know, we, we pray together, but it's a decision we have to make ourselves. So we need to pray and vote. Don't, please don't have an opinion if you're not prepared to vote. That's just my little, little pet peeve there. Number two, pray and honor. Pray and honor. Let's not talk down our leaders. I made that mistake. I, I, I threw a bad just careless, stupid statement out. Maybe last year, I think it was. Felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Criticized the national leader. Really felt God said, wrong. That was wrong. Had to stand before you guys and apologize, ask for forgiveness. I was out of line. No question. We honor those who are in authority above us. We pray and honor have your conversations around politics. Can I encourage you to do that? Have strong debates. Talk about it. Get involved in the conversation. Discuss it. And then before you finish the conversation, say, hey, can we pray about this? Yeah? Don't leave the conversation without praying. Say, come on, let's commit this conversation to God. If you're talking with another Christian, take a moment to go, hey, come on, at the end of this, let's just pray. Let's ask God to, to be in this conversation. Ask God to help us and pray for the leaders that will make the decisions. Pray and honor. I love uh, Paul. He's been talking about love in the 12th chapter of Romans. Then he goes on in the 13th chapter, which we've read, and he talks about uh, the, the love, talking about the love. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let our language and response be love. Loving others includes politicians we may struggle to like or agree with but if we love others we actually fulfill the law and as the team come this morning uh, we're going to worship just for a bit but the third thing pray and get involved pray and get involved number one pray and vote pray and honor number three pray and get involved I believe that in this place today there's some there's some Daniels there's some Esther's there's some Shadrach's some Meshach's some Abednego's I believe there's some young people here today that you're wondering what you're going to do for a career. Maybe something in this message is going, I want to make a difference in our nation. Come at the close of the service. We've got a team that would love to pray with you. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of the change, to be a part of something that would be different, you know, where you would actually stand with the principles of God's word and bring change in government and in politics. What's the greatest thing we can do for our government? Am I being clear enough when I say pray? Pray. Did you see that kind of at the start of all those three points? Pray. Because prayer always moves my heart away from myself. My thoughts, my opinions, my emotions, my feelings. God, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. And we're going to pray for our nation. And we're going to pray a prayer that has been prayed in Parliament. 
It talks about prayer within the House of Parliament. It also talks about the prayer here. And you know what? There's a name that's been taken out of parliamentary prayer. The name that is above every other name. There's no point praying a prayer unless it's directed to and under the authority and power of the name that you're praying it under. We have a name that is higher than every other name. We have the name of Jesus. And we're going to pray this prayer together because this is a prayer that has been prayed over our government. And if we could pray this prayer and continually just make a decision, we're going to pray, pray for our government, pray that they will make great decisions, pray for our prime minister, a young leader, raising a family. Let's pray for Jacinda Ardern. Pray that God would give her wisdom. God would raise amazing people around her. Pray for Simon Bridges in, in opposition, that actually there wouldn't be an opposition, but they would, they would build a nation together. That the right and the left would work together in order to build our nation. Is it possible? I believe it is if we would actually commit to praying. Here's, here's a thought. If I prayed as much as I complained... How big would my prayer life be? Whoa! What do you reckon? I reckon I'd, I'd probably be praying a whole lot more. So every time I think about complaining, why don't I turn that into petition, into prayer? So come on, why don't you stand on your feet? We're going to pray this prayer. This is a parliamentary prayer. But this is a prayer for our nation. Does God want us involved in politics? Absolutely. Let's pray. Pray and vote. Pray and honor. Pray and get involved. Almighty God, humbly acknowledging our need for thy guidance in all things and laying aside all private and personal interests, we beseech thee to grant that we may conduct the affairs of this house and of our country to the glory of thy holy name, the maintenance of true religion and justice, the honor of the Queen and the public welfare, peace and tranquility of New Zealand through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, why don't you give God a shout of praise in this place. We're going to sing our national anthem. We're going to declare that God is God in this nation. We're going to sing in the tongue of our Maori folk, of the te reo. We're going to sing in the language of our land, and we're going to declare the praise of God, that God will defend our nation. Come on, team, why don't you lead us?